to an all-new episode of Wonderfilled Week. I am your host, Caitlin Corey. I am honored to welcome a very special guest on today's show, who I believe we can all draw inspiration from, Mr. Ralph de Quebec. Ralph de Quebec is 37 years old. He joined the United States Marine Corps at 19. During his third combat deployment, he was critically injured from an IED blast and received a Purple Heart for his actions in combat. During his recovery, he discovered the sport of para-ice hockey. He went on to win a gold medal on the 2018 Paralympic Games in South Korea. Ralph is the captain of the Colorado Warrior Avalanche, a co-founder of We Are All One Story with our friend Jose Lugo, and is currently training for the 2022 Paralympic Games in Beijing, China. When asked why he decided to start We Are All One Story with Jose, Ralph responds, I know what it's like to lose the value in one's story. When I shared my story, I shared some of the most pivotal experiences in my life with the world, good and bad. In doing so, I felt the power with each word I spoke shift from victim to owner. It helped me realize that even though my past has helped shape me as a person, it didn't define me. It allowed me to rediscover the value in my own story. I'm here to share my story with honesty, and vulnerability, and hopes that it will inspire others to do the same. Without further ado, let's welcome to the program, Mr. Ralph de Quebec. So first, I want to thank you so much, Ralph, for being here today and for speaking with me. I know my listeners will certainly draw a lot of inspiration from your story and your passion project, We Are All One Story. But before we can get into that, we sort of have to go back a bit, write a few chapters to see how you got here. Um, So that being said, can you please take us back to your decision to join the Marines at age 19? Yeah, you know, um, growing up in LA, I I didn't have a a big nationalistic idea, you know, I didn't was, I had other things to be worried about, but when I was in college, um, I went through the rat race of going to school and, and working a job and trying to make a football team. And it was just going over and over and over and over and over. And I was like, Ralph, this isn't it, you know, like this just isn't what you had in mind for life. And so one day during a study hall, six o'clock in the morning, we walk into a um, little section where, you know, the kids just go and study in the morning and on the TV on the wall, I saw two buildings on fire and I was like, everybody just, you know, just astonished. They're like, what is going on? We, no one had a clue. And something over me, I don't know what happened, but something said, hey man, you know, this isn't it. Maybe this is, this is what you need to go do. And six months later, I was on the Yellow Footprints joining uh, the United States Marine Corps. Wow. So you were that touched by what you had witnessed on 9-11. Yeah. You know, it was was a little bit of that. And then just knowing that whatever I had going on in my life, right, wasn't wasn't fulfilling me. So it was like, hey, you tried it your way. It didn't work out. Let's try something new and see how that works out. And it was the best decision, best decision I ever made. And you still feel that way to this day, that it was the best decision you ever made. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing everything that's ever happened to me, all the things that have happened to me, I'll do it all over again. 
in a heartbeat for sure. Wow. Well, I want to thank you first for your selflessness and your service to this country and, and really whatever gets you there, right? It might not have been this big calling, like you said, of that national feeling, but you were there and, and you did the, the hard work that many people can't and won't do. So first, I want to thank you for that. And I feel... I feel for you, when I look at your story, you know, I've been looking on social media, other interviews, I think a big word or theme that I see with you is teamwork. And I, I, I don't know if you would agree with that, but teamwork seems to be a theme without, throughout your entire story. So teamwork with your teammates in the Marines, team, teamwork with what happens next. But let's go back to um, your time in the Marines. I know we talked about teamwork. And before you did suffer your critical injury, I know you did suffer a loss of a teammate, and that was a big impact for you. So can you walk us through your deployments and the loss and the injuries that you endured during that time? You know, I'm on, I, my first deployment was in 2008, and I was in uh, Iraq. I had joined in 2002. So I was in the Marines in 2002, so it was about six years before I did my first deployment. And so that first deployment was to Iraq, and it was in 2008 when the war in Iraq was dwindling down. And so um, we did We did our job, you know, it wasn't nothing. At the end of that deployment, it was like, we learned a lot, but it wasn't like, oh, we did something, you know what I mean? And so then it wasn't into, until 2010, I went on my second deployment, I was in Afghanistan. And that's when, um, you know, I got in my first firefight, engaged with the enemy, you know? Um, and I was like, oh shit, like, this is real. like people are shooting at me now. Like I got to shoot back at people. Like it's not a video game, so to speak. You know what I mean? And so that let over reality just hits you and at the snap of a bullet, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, you, I took my job serious throughout my whole career, but it isn't until that instant where you're like, Oh, sh- now it's game on. You know what I mean? And so I, I did my 2010 deployment. I had a great time, you know, um, we did a lot of good things for the, for the country of Afghanistan and and um, didn't suffer any casualties in my unit, the guys that I was working with. And so that was a plus. Um, but then in 2012, I got sent out for my third deployment and um, got teamed up with my my teammate, JP Healing. Um, he was a fresh EOD tech out of EOD school. And um, I remember him checking into the unit because um, the very first day, one couple of the first days that he checked in, he uh, parked where he wasn't supposed to park. And so, um, you know, they call, I'm his boss. I'm supposed to be his boss. So they call us into an office and they're like, hey, um, who's this knucklehead parked outside? Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, damn, I got to find out who this is. And so sure enough, I'm like, who's parked outside? And JP comes walking up to me. I'm like, who are you? He's JP Hill. And I was like, I'm your boss. Move your damn truck. We got to get to work kind of deal. And so, you know, just developing that that bond. We only had about four months to work together before we had to deploy to Afghanistan. And so um, we just developed that bond and looking at him, looking at the way he approached his job and, you know, just life. And um, I just knew in his eyes that EOD was what he wanted to do. Like it's when I looked at him, I looked at myself in the mirror because I was like, we're on the same page. Like there's nowhere else you would rather be than doing what we're doing. So um, we definitely hit it off from, from right off the bat. Um, and so then we head into Afghanistan in April of 2012, and um, we hit the ground running. Me and JP were uh, was uh, we led the EOD teams in country with IEDs and, and missions at that time. So the first month in, we were doing the most, and so um, he was ecstatic. We were having a great time. Um, 
we were disab disabling bombs, but we hadn't had been in, in any kind of context. We hadn't engaged in the enemy. And so if, as a Marine, that's like, you know, it's, it's the rite of passage. Once you engage with the enemy, now you know you, there's nothing else you can do more. And so he was waiting for his moment to do that. And so um, we had been doing missions and we got selected for a four day mission. And um, should we go on this four day mission and we're out on a patrol and it's JP, myself and maybe six other Marines, but then we have an element of maybe 40 Afghan national soldiers. So they're on our side and we're kind of teaching them how to do, how to conduct business or whatnot. And so um, we're on their side. And so on this patrol, we set off, we do our own thing. We let them go do their work and we're sitting out and about for 20, 25 minutes. And we're like, man, these guys have been gone for a minute. Like what's going on? And so we're trying to get our translator to communicate to them, to the radio guys. Hey, let's speed this process up. We need to link back up. And so we're trying to get to our translator and there's like, you know, um, that language barrier is just, you know, it's so big that you can't get anything across. And so if a person on the other end is going to act like they don't know what you're saying, you have no way to, to make them understand. And so eventually what happened is um, he was not relaying the messages to our guys. He was relaying messages to the Taliban and we couldn't understand what he was doing at the time. And so um, all we remember is I heard a crack, crack, crack. And I'm like, oh shit, we're getting shot at. I've felt this before. But at this time it's like, damn, this is closer than it's ever been. And as I'm like trying to check my surroundings, look to my left, I look to my right. And then I see, literally I see a rifle barrel like maybe eight feet away from us. And he's just shooting into all the guys that I was with. and. JP was the first in, first in line, and then it was myself, and then it was uh, four other guys. And so he shot into JP, tried to shoot into the rest of us, and fortunately um, for the rest of us, his weapon had jammed. Unfortunately for JP and for the corpsman, they did get hit. And so um, as I'm sliding into cover, um, I'm in a berm that's about you know six feet deep or whatnot, and so I can't really see over. Um, but I can hear him. He's like, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. And then, you know, the, the emotion and all that's just the adrenaline just starts beating like, oh my God, if it wasn't already going off from the gunfire, now it's going off because you do have your teammate, you know, screaming for help right now. And so there, there I was like, you know, just, you just go straight into um, survival mode, you know, it's training mode. Like you're just boom, 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 boom. Everything is happening at a split second and there's no time to react and you're just doing what you've been trained to do and so I finally make my way up to him and you know I check his body he has bullet holes all over him and I'm like man you know doing the um the um life-saving steps you know having to plug holes and you know trying to talk to him and CPR and all that kind of stuff it was very on the x it was like um it's the most humbling experience that I could ever experience because you can see you know, literally life faint in and out of someone. And it's like, you know, life is too precious. You know what I mean? And it's like, I seen that with my own eyes. And so, you know, J JP passed away that day. And um, it was like one of a huge, huge lesson of like, you know, life is too short, you know, um, and do the things that you love. You know what I mean? He was doing something that he loved. 
I was doing something that I loved as well. And which leads me into the next event of me getting blown up. You know what I mean? I knew he loved what he was doing. He knew I loved, I had lost 18 friends before that in my, in my career, my time span to this job. And every single one of them loved what they were doing. And so even now, losing a teammate could be hard or what, um, um, you couldn't even, I couldn't even put into words the, the amount of emotions and the feelings and, you know, the ups and the downs that go through that. But being able to turn it around and, and use it as an, as an into a, a positive, like I know JP can't live his life, so I have to live my life to the fullest. I mean, I, and take that level of seriousness and intent into every single day of my life. And so, um, you know, that led me into getting blown up essentially, because a month after that, I was asked the question like, hey Ralph, we know you just suffered traumatic experience. You lost your brother in your arms. If you don't wanna work anymore, we're fine with that. You can give classes, you can, you can uh, contribute to our community in a different manner, right? It doesn't have to be in combat. But I was like, what I know and what I can bring to the table is through combat. That's why I'm here. This is what I trained for. I need to get back into the fight because I know every single other guy would say the same thing. And so being around, you, you talk about teamwork, like that bond, that team bond where like it's every man is that selfless is so powerful because there's no amount of, e there's no room for ego when it comes between, you know, the, the, the matters of life and death. Like I'm dealing with this guy's life in my hands. I, there's no room for me to, to have my ego. And so, um, you know, I chose to go back to work. You know, I chose to go back to work. And was that a difficult decision or because you knew how badly JP and the other brothers you lost wanted to do that with their life, did that propel you to just do it without question? Oh, absolutely. You know, they gave the boss, um, told me, he said, hey, Ralph, you know, what do you want to do? I want to go back to work. He gave me two options. He, he gave me two options and he said, hey, I can give you this person or I can give you this person. I said, I'll take this person. I had already worked with the previous person. And, um, and I was like, I'll take this person. And um, so I, I hooked up with Brandon. We became a team like instantly. And then about two weeks later, we were en route to our mission and we were on another four day mission. But and I was kind of like, you know, I was built for that. My whole career, my prior deployment in 2010, I was built for these four day missions. And most Marines don't operate like that. They, they stay somewhere and they operate for the six or seven months and then they go home go somewhere out yeah you so but I was bouncing all over the place and so I was used to that and so we go on our next four-day mission and again there's only a small element I'm attached to army special forces at the time and there's only about eight of us Americans um eight to ten of us I can't remember eight to ten of us Americans on on my team and then we again we have about 30 Afghan National Army guys and so same thing. We're just trying to teach them how to do what they need to do so we can leave. Um, and so we go out on our, that patrol, our final patrol has been day four, one, two, and three, we're taking contact every single day, doing what have you been doing for, for, for God knows who, how long, you know what I mean? You know, and at this point I'm numb. There's nothing really, there's no like adrenaline anymore it's like you know okay this is going on now i'm functioning in a normal state in a combat environment 
you know, now you're communicating a lot easier. Now you're being able to move and, and, and uh, locate the enemy and all that stuff. So the first time it comes around, it's instant. And you're like trying to learn on the spot. And by, by the time you go 80, 100, 150 times, it's just like, it's nothing. You can take naps in firefights now, you know, that's how common it is. And so, um, you know, one days one, two and three, we got, we were in it and we knew we were there. Um, we were just literally trying to make space, um, let the enemy know that we were there to allow for a bigger Marine force to come in and to occupy that area. And so um, day four comes and we're getting ready to leave. And we had a lot of extra stuff with us, a lot of demo, a lot of ammo um, and stuff like that. And so we were taking contact from a building about 150 meters away from us. And so um, we were like, we're going to go check that building out. So when the next guys come in, they don't get jacked up by these guys in this building. And so sure enough, we go and check out that building and uh, it's two o'clock in the morning operating with night vision goggles. So you can't really see through illumination. And um, we set out our element. Like I said, it's only 150 meters away. Um, and so one guy leaves and about every, you know, six meters, seven meters, another guy leaves. And so we're dispersed like, um, we were we were social distancing before social distancing was cool. And, um, <laughs> you invented it. <laughs> yeah, right. And so we social distanced our way all the way to this building, pretty much. And uh, the lead guy in that element found an IED, and an IED is a bomb that's it's improvised explosive device, and it's what the Taliban make. They bury, they attach cell phones. They they they're very creative on how they use their IEDs. And so this guy had found one, and. Um, that's my job. I was a bomb technician. We take apart bombs like another day at the office. That's how I looked at it immediately. Hear it on the radio. You know, someone says, hey, they got a bomb. Someone's probably thinking, oh, panic, right? It's another day at the office. I'm numb to it. All my senses are going off now. I'm already thinking, okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. This person needs to be here. I need to communicate this. Let's go. And so it, all that happened in a matter of a split second once we found out there was an IED. And so me and Brandon start walking towards these guys and we have metal detectors and we're trying to detect metal in the ground because if they buried it and they had metal, we can find it that way. Um, and so, yeah, we're sweeping these areas. Um, get to the building, I tell Brandon to hang tight because the safe area, if anything was in the area, he would be safe. And so I continue to walk down, walk down and I get to an area which we call a choke point. And it was literally where all the terrain features push you into one center area. So there was a bridge that came here. There was a, a river that was following um, my pathway, the, the way that I was walking. And there was a building that was about to intersect. So there's only one point that you can walk through. And so as I got to that point, all these other guys got through and I was like, there's something right here. Like, I just know it. There has to be, if I'm a bomb maker, I'm putting one right here. This is where I'm gonna get the most bang for my buck, so to speak. And so I get on the radio, I say, hey guys, I'm gonna check out this area right now because there's something sketchy about this area I don't, and I'll work on the next one when we get there. And so um, sure enough, I start taking out my tools and I go to work and I start doing my thing. About 10 minutes roll by and I'm like, man, that spidey sense is still on the back of my neck. Like I still feel it, my gut is still like turning. And I'm like, I know there's something here. We ha I haven't found it yet. Um, and now I'm starting to go through the mental thought process. Okay, what's now, what do we do? I was like, do I pull all these guys out? We're operating at night. Do I just go white light and make sure that we just, you know, illuminate this whole area. But if we do that, then the Taliban know we're here. So, you, you know, you have, there's a lot of risk mitigation going on. And it's happening at a split second. 
And so um, eventually, you know, I was like, that bridge that we want to destroy is huge, a lot larger than we had anticipated. <laughs> and so I was like, so the amount of explosives that we have right now, we probably wouldn't be able to get the job done. And so I'm ready to get on the, the thing on the, the radio and to be like, hey guys, I think we should just egress our way out of here and call it a day, maybe come back in the morning and figure this out. But before I can translate that message, I had seen someone walking towards me. And um, and when you're night vision goggles, when you're wearing night vision goggles, if you ever seen like a, the cat, a cat's eyes reflection when they look at lights, that's exactly what you see when you're looking at somebody's eyes through um, night vision goggles. When I looked up, all I saw was his cat eyes. And I was like, oh shit. And so I put my hand out to tell him to stop. And before I could finish the P and stop, he had stepped on the IED and the function. So then I found myself, boom, flying through the air. The what the F is happening went through my mind. I was slow motion though. I'm telling you, I was like, what the F? And I'm flying. And I just, at the fast, I'm flying. And then I hit this wall. Boom. I hit it. It takes all my momentum away. And then I fall to the ground. And um, what had happened was I bounced off that wall of the building and then I landed in the hole where the explosives were. And so I was trying to uh, push my way out with my feet. Like if you were laying on your back and you were trying to push your way away from like sliding on the ground, you would use your feet, right? I was trying to make that motion and I couldn't make it. So I, immediately I knew something was wrong. And so I started screaming, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. Sean, I'm hit. Brandon, I'm hit. And I'm telling you what seemed like a split second, it felt like I was getting pulled out of that hole like a rag doll. Like my guys were there. Like I had probably two seconds to panic and they were on me and they pulled me out and there's my team pulling me out, pulling me to safety. And so, um, you know, sitting on the X now, you know, this is where they're working on me, you know, traumatic injuries to both legs, it's obvious. My arm is actually, what was the most concerning though, because it looked like my arm was amputated as well. And what had happened is through the explosion, my barrel of my rifle had went and severed my arm, um, like a lot of it. So I have like this huge gash on my arm, um, but my teammate literally, he was like, I didn't think you were gonna have an arm. The next time I saw him, when I, after recovery and, and he got to see me, he was like, he looked at my arm, he was like, that's brilliant medical work. I didn't, there was no way, he was like, your legs, I knew you were gonna be fine. He was like, but the arm, he was like, you had good doctors. And so so that was pretty um, intense. And through that whole process, like, you know, I didn't per se have my life flash before my eyes, but a lot of things are like, Ralph, this, 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 and this, and this, you know, my family, my dog, started thinking about a lot of the things like that. And I remember, you know, I, I tell my brother all the time, I was like, you know, when I was in that moment and I was fighting for my life, like I was literally just trying to find breath. You know what I mean? Just to stay alive. And I can, as they're working on me and as I'm communicating, like I'm, I'm joking with these guys. Like I want to keep that mood like down. I don't want to be anybody to panic. And so we're trying to crack jokes and these guys are going to work on me. And, you know, Sean is doing his thing. He's the man. And so, um, you know, but even through all that, even through all that help or whatnot, like I literally, I can just feel like my breath leaving my body as well. You know what I mean? I just remember 
digging deep down inside and being like, just make it to the bird, just make it to the bird, just make it to the bird. And that was my goal. My goal was to get when the when the, the helicopter got there to come, you know, with medical personnel to save me, that I would just, that was my job, make it there and they were going to handle the rest, right? And so that was my goal. And during that process as well, you know, like I'm breathing hard and I, and I, I can see it. Like I know I'm, I'm circling the drain. Like I'm like, oh shit, this is about, this is how it's going to happen. And, you know, digging down deep and being like, God, don't let this happen to me. Like there's so much more that I have to do in my life and I can do that don't let this happen to me. Please don't let this happen to me over and over and over. God, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. I can, I'll do work for you, whatever you want. Just, just let me live. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Make this happen. And, um, and sure enough, you know, a month after me being blown up, I wake up out of a coma in Washington, DC. Yeah. So you were in a coma for a month. I was in a coma for a month and, you know, I went from Afghanistan to Germany and I developed pneumonia because I drank water while I was getting work done. This is how I was cracking jokes with the guys like, boys, give me some lemonade. You're not supposed to drink no lemonade. I need fucking lemonade and they gave me lemonade. And so I developed pneumonia and um, and so I couldn't travel. They had an induced coma on me, but I was in bad shape. They thought I was going to die. They flew my family out. I flew my girlfriend out at the time, my aunt, they flew everyone out because they were like, it's not looking good. And and the crazy thing is the Marines usually don't do that. The Marines, the service doesn't fly out non-immediate family members or non-spouse. And they flew my girlfriend out at the time. And so that's how I knew I was like, damn, it was pretty bad. I right. don't remember it, but it was pretty bad. If it was bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, first, I want to say I'm so sorry for your loss of JP. I know that the way you speak about him is is beautiful and tragic all at once. And I'm, I know that he died doing what he loved to do, which has a beauty in it. But it is, of course, so, so tragic. So I'm so very sorry for your loss. But also hearing your personal story about your incident and your traumatic injury is so inspiring because never throughout any of that were you saying why me or I have regrets or why did I do this or how did I get myself into this listening to you tell your story is so beautiful because you have a mentality of I wanted to do this and this was my life's work and I just didn't want to die because I wanted to continue my life's work you know I wanted to continue to give and to be there for others and to finish your story by sharing other people's stories and you're even still doing that to this day with JP and just the way you speak about him and remember him is just a very beautiful thing. So I want to first thank you for for opening up about these chapters that might not always be easy to recount. You know, we all have we're all a book. We all have different chapters and some of them might be more difficult to to talk about, but you're taking these very pivotal moments and they're very tragic both of them, but you're talking about them with a light and with a hope and with just a perspective that I don't think a lot of people have. And so I have to ask, where do you where do you get this in, like this motivation, this positivity from? Where do you draw that inspiration from? I've been on the other side. I have been on the other side. Um, you know, after getting blown up, you know, oh man, how do you? I was, I was king of the mountain at the time. You know what I mean? Like when me and JP are going on this deployment, we're supposed to have the time of our life. The time of our, we describe this deployment as the time of our life. And there's, you're going to find many service members describe going to deploy as the time of their life. It's the t- some of the greatest times and some of the worst times. You'll hear that often. 
And it's absolutely true. Um, but I've been on the other side. I, I have been depressed. I have had suicidal thoughts. Like I've had, you know, um, this burden where I have this ruck of all these, you know, just trauma, 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 trauma that I'm just carrying out throughout life. And it wasn't until we, I started working with my brother that it was like, boom, we need to unload this trauma. Like we're grown ass men. Like there's no reason why we can't talk about this. Like there's a guy telling you you're weak because you're talking about trauma. It's probably because they haven't experienced trauma. Right. Like if I'm crying because I lost a teammate in combat, like there's a reason for that. There's emotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not a robot. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so getting that point across and trying to get that to other humans is, 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 is what I'm like driven right now by is like, we need to spread this message more so than ever, you know, being cooped up at the, in this moment, being in our thoughts, like a lot of people could have used this time in a negative way. And I've tried, me and my brother, I've just tried to do it. And so positively trying to, you know, you know, um, travel the country, listening to other people's stories, sharing them on our, on our social media and stuff like that, going on the podcast, talking about our traumas and stuff like that, making it normal. You know what I mean? Like, this is normal. Mm -hmm. Like everyone has this. If you're out there acting like you have it all together, you don't. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I had to go through that because I was that guy that thought I had it all together. Mm. You know what I mean? I was that guy my whole life. That's probably hard to admit. Is that hard to admit? It's so hard. And, and then it's so hard because especially when I'm sitting in a hospital bed thinking to myself, where did I F up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where did I F up? I was doing everything right. I had the girl that I had everything. I had built this life for me that I was 100% in love with. Wow. And now I'm sitting in a hospital bed with no legs thinking like, what, where did I go wrong? And so, yeah, I, I got addicted to my pain meds. You know what I mean? You get prescription medication, got addicted to it. Even when I didn't need to use it, I was using it to numb feelings and, and you know, just kind of go away in my own space. And, you know, so I did that as well, you know. Um, but it all came back down to who I was looking at in the mirror. You know what I mean? Like I had that self sense of like, when I look in the mirror, like I want to, I want to be proud of the person that I'm looking at. And it's in a different manner. Like, it's not like you're accomplishing this or you're doing that. It's, I want to be proud of the person you are and who you are as a person first. And so I knew that the things that I was doing, they, they weren't who I wanted to be as a person. They weren't, I was not, the, that was not the human I wanted to be. And, and who was that? That was the guy that was a go-getter, the guy that wanted to go get back after it. Find a team, surround himself with the guys that were going to help him succeed, and then accept help. There was so much help that I was given. And I was not the, nope, I don't need your help. Nope, I don't need your help. If people were willing to help and they, were, and they wanted to get on this train for my dream to become a Paralympic gold medalist, if you were on my team, you were on my team. I'm all in. They had the saying is team first, right? The team always comes first. And I've learned that in, in football when I was in high school. In the Marines, my team always came first. You know, um, in hockey, my team always comes first. But my family is my team as well. The people in my social circle are my, are my team as well. Like, that's all that really matters to me. I've lived a life where I've, all the distractions mattered to me. And I was trying to appease to everybody and da, 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 racking my brain. And I'm like, no. The people that love me and the people that are contributing to my dream, 
they're getting my my love back. We're reciprocating that. And I think that's what me and my brother are doing right now. You know, he has this dream to travel the world and share people's stories. And I have this dream to share my story through the platform to allow other people to understand that it is okay to talk about these things. It's not, it's not easy. It's not easy whatsoever. But once you start doing instantly, when I did my interview with my brother, he asked me questions that my wife never asked me. And my mom never even knew the answers to. So those are two very significant people in my life that had no clue what my story was. And so that's the power behind the story is that we have all this stuff and we hold it in. You just hold it and hold it and hold it. You know what I mean? And it's not until you release it. And for me, I told him instantly, I was like, you know what? Once I said it and it was on tape on the internet to the world, I didn't get, I didn't care who heard it anymore. Oh, okay. I was going to ask. It was just, was that very freeing for you to put it out there? It's so free. It was so free. And I was like, boom, it's out there. There's no turning back now. You know what I mean? There's no turning back. If you want to use that, sure, go ahead and use it. It is what it is. Right. I mean, it's all true and you have no shame in your story. At all whatsoever. And I think shame is a big, you know, deterrent of people wanting to live their story. There's just so much shame that we live with. Mm-hmm. It. And I think, you know, um, you know, for me, that was that was one of them, too. You know, like I was like, damn, I'm in this situation. Like, how am I going to get through it? And it's not until, you know, I'm not going to say pick up pick yourself up by the bootstraps and just get to work kind of guy. Cause there is a lot of things that have to be involved, but you know, you do have to do the work. You have to do your part. Your part is the work. If you're working, I'm telling you, the people will recognize your work and will start to help you. At least in my instance, that's how I felt. You know, like I had my head to the ground. Anytime I had my head to the grindstone, someone has always came up and said, Hey, you can use this. Boom. You can use this. Made it easier for me. Head goes back down to the grindstone again. We just keep doing it. We build that team that way. And I found myself in that situation so many times. So I think, you know, it's it's just got to be that mentality that, you know, you're willing to work just as hard as everyone else in the team and, and willing to sacrifice just as much. Wow. I have to ask, because you were in this depression, you're addicted to your meds. You're at a low, of course, rightfully so. How did you turn that corner? What pulled you out of that to become an Olympic gold medalist? Uh, How did you get, you know, what sparked that interest in the hockey? I know, of course, teamwork is a big thing for you. But how did you get involved? What really pulled you out? You know, I was um, cruising the hallways, talking to mentors, talking to other Marines um, on a day to day basis, but I was high on opiates. Mm. And so I would meet people and then, you know, have full-blown conversations. And a couple of days later, I would meet people again. Mm. And so I was that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, oh, dude, you should know who I am. We just had a con- I don't, I have no clue who you are. Um, and so that's when I knew I was like, okay, I got to stop this. I can't do this. There's no way I can live my life this way, right? And so at that time, I had been uh, um, dabbling in other adaptive sports like uh, wheelchair basketball, swimming, hand cycling, skiing, um, wheelchair lacrosse. Um, I don't know if I said basketball, rugby, all the all the sports that you could think of at the military medical center in, in Bethesda, Maryland, Walter Reed. World-class facility, especially for wounded warriors. Whatever you needed to rehabilitate yourself with after injury from combat or, you know, motorcycle accident, it's there at Walter Reed. Whatever path, whatever avenue, if you want to ride bikes, for the rest of your life, you can do it. And so I literally tried every single thing. 
And it wasn't until I got introduced to hockey where I was like, oh, this is my sport. <laughs> this is it. And it's funny too, because I was introduced to hockey by a black guy. Uh, his name's Kevin Gatson, still my friend to this day. And he walked, he's from the South. He's like, hey, Ralph, he's like, hey, man, like, uh, you, want, you want to come out here and play some hockey with us? And I'm like, uh, I'm from LA, bro. We don't do that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, no, man, you got to understand, like, the guys like to hang around. We, all of us don't have legs. You know, we go drink after, go Buffalo Wild Wings. We're just a good group of guys that like to hang out with each other. And I was like, man, I'm not having any of that. I ain't got no <laughs> legs. I'm in my own lane. Just leave me alone. And so he harassed me and my wife at the time, my girlfriend became a wife. Um, he harassed me, her, and my sister who was living with us for a week straight until my wife finally said, get this mother effer off our back go to hockey practice just go so he'll just leave us alone and I was like fine I'll do it you know just totally reluctant I was like I'm not having this I don't want to do this but make it to the rink and the first thing I notice is I walk in and there's sure enough there's guys that I've noticed at the hospital in passing but never even bothered to have a conversation with you know what I mean it was just that you know you lose you lose your legs you're like this right now the world's against you kind of kind of thing and so Getting on the rink kind of opened me up to that. And I was like, man, there's guys out here. They're having fun. They're doing hockey. Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, we'll give this a shot. You know what I mean? I was it. I liked that atmosphere. It was like when I explained it, it was like um, like shark, sharks in a tank. And they're just going all around. And I'm this fish just about to jump into this tank with them. You know what I mean? Because I'm the new guy on the block. And so, you know, I get my gear on and I'm like, okay, I've put gear on before. So I'm used to that, get on the ice. And all of a sudden I'm like, I got to use my hands to move. Got to use my hips to like turn. I got to shift body weight. And that's just to stand on the, or to sit on the ice. I was like, now I got this black puck that I got to push around. And now I got people I got to watch around and I got to throw this thing into that. I was like overwhelming, you know, just like, oh my God. And so... So that first practice is just going up and down the ice with another, just one other person just going up and down, just getting used to things. And at that time I was like, man, I don't know about this. Like, this is cool. It's a lot funner than the most of the other sports that I've done. And I was like, but I don't know if this is going to be it. And so I did that for about a month, um, hung out with the boys, but I had a friend, uh, I had a buddy that would come down from Philadelphia and, and skate with me one-on-one -on -one for an hour every Wednesday. And Thank God for him, Mike Doyle, if you hear this, because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have played hundred percent because it would have took too long to learn the things that I wanted to learn in the once a week um, environment. Whereas he was willing to come down and I was like doubling up, doubling up. And then I, I found myself at the rink every single day. That's what it turned into. It turned into, you know, now I get to wake up and get good at something. And oh, by the way, I got teammates. Oh, by the way, they want to win games. Um, we like to hang out with each other. And so that all collectively brought into this, you know, this, this same, same bond that I've created throughout my life within the Marines, football teams, and now hockey, you know? Um, and so I just felt at home. And it wasn't until we got into our first scrimmage and I laid my first hit that I knew exactly I was at home. I was like, this is exactly where I need to be. I'm that physical guy. I need to put my body on somebody. I'm not stopping playing this sport. This 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 is the sport for me. And so that's I haven't looked back since. And that was 
And that was uh, the summer of 2013. I'm so glad your friend pushed you. Sometimes harassment yeah, right? works. <laughs> it does, you know, it does. It really does. And then, you know, and I think he, he's such a solid dude. So, you know, he had spent a long time in the army. So he was a, a leader of soldiers as well. And so he can definitely see that you're going to, you're going to thrive in this environment. Like you, you literally need to be in this environment. You don't even know it. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to him for that. Wow. I, I feel you share your gold medal with all these people. The, the person who came down to help you skate every week, the person who pushed you into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, that was the beauty about it. But at the same time, that was, uh, that's a huge burden, you know, cause you don't want to let nobody down. You know, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I got 18 friends that are in heaven looking down on me. I don't want to let them down. But even if I do, they're not going to care. They just want me to be doing my thing. Right. Yeah. And I was like, but then I got all these other people that are like, you know, supporting me financially, supporting me, you know, in the day to day, you know, there was a lot of hands that had to go into me just focusing on playing hockey and that was it. And so um, mentors, you know, you name it, you name it, sponsors, all that kind of stuff. It was just amazing that um, I was able to, to get all that. But I think, I honestly think people saw it in me mm-hmm. before I saw it in myself. Absolutely. And I say that because now when I look at people and we're having conversations and I see that we're on the same frequency, I'm like, you get it. Yeah. You get it. You, I'm all ears to you. Wow. We're not just having this conversation just to, you know, get to the elevator. It's like right. we're, on the same, we're on the same page. I love that. And so, yeah. But I think all the people who poured into you financially or being a mentor, I think it's all just to see the smile on your face right now. Oh, I think absolutely. that's really the payoff more than any gold absolutely. medal ever could be. Absolutely. And, you know, like I, my goal now is to win another gold medal. But, and, you know, honestly, um, it's for me. I'm not going to lie. It's for me. This one's for me. Like, it's something that yeah. I want to do. Um and so I was like, the same people are helping me, which is what's crazy. The same people are helping me, but the mentality has just shifted. Like, hey, let me do, and they're fine. Let me do this for me. I'm happy. You see that I'm happy. There's nothing that can change that. And so, you know, I, I say right now, you know, I'm doing this for myself and I'm doing this because I made a promise to God that I was going to do this to the best of my ability. And you really are. I see you on Instagram. I see you working out. I'm like, damn, okay, let me get my ass to the gym because look at Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's just that's that's serious to me. Like it's so serious to me, it's fun. It's crazy. You know, it's you know, the discipline has freed me up so much. Yeah. I think discipline is another theme with you, like brotherhood, teammates, and just discipline. You're just the epitome of discipline, determination, and being true to your word, you know, because you made this promise to God, to yourself, to your family and your team, and, and you're really sticking with it. And I'm sure some days, even to this day, I'm like let us think you're human are some days still really hard oh yeah absolutely you know I'll tell you right now no I'll tell you right now after I won my goal this is probably the most pivotal if you're going to pull anything from my story this is going to be what you're going to need to hear is that once I got my gold medal I thought I got my carry I thought the race was over and it wasn't like it wasn't fulfilling it wasn't what I was looking for like that's not like it like, oh, we did it. And then, yes, it was a great moment to be a part of. Like, I'll never forget that moment in my life. Proudest moment, you know, all that. But at the same time, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, I thought, oh, now Easy Street is coming. No, it wasn't like that at all. And all the things that came up after that weren't me anyways. The partying and doing all the other things. Like, yeah, I had a good time and I could do all that. But that's not really who I am. 
as a person naturally. Like I love to have a good time. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the let me have a good time every single day kind of guy. Like I, I like to work. I love to work. I love to see things go from point A to point B and see the work, the progress in between. And so that's when I realized like that's the carrot that I'm chasing. Like that's what I really love to do. I find myself in all these situations because that's the environment that I love to be in. Be in love with that. Don't be in love with the carrot. And so, so that, you love the journey. I You're love, a journey guy. I'm a journey guy. And that's why I like, I'm totally in this so cliche, but it, that's why I can only have certain amount of people around me. Like I can't have everyone in my circle because it is a journey for me. And everyone is playing an important role in that. And I don't, I can't expend a whole lot of energy that's not going into the direction that I want to go into because I did that. I was doing the things that I wasn't supposed to be doing, trying to chase a dream. And it took me that much longer you know what I mean like I was going backwards and so for the like even for like coronavirus like as soon as coronavirus hit March 15th we got the call and said hey there's no more hockey my mind mentally at that point made the goal that that was the time I was going to go 200 percent because everyone else was going to go less and this was going to be my chance to double up on everyone whether it was fitness wise you know reading, whatever that meant, whatever it was that I wanted to do as a human being, you know, ask myself the hard questions that I need to ask myself, travel, visit family, you know, um, head out into the open spaces, going in the mountains and stuff like that. being surrounded in nature and just asking myself the hard questions, but then realizing how small I am within nature. So the answers don't really matter. Wow. That's why I, I, that's why I go out and do that because it's like, no matter how good you do something or how bad you do something, it's that small in the world. We, we got to get on with it. Like your story continues. Your story doesn't stop until you stop breathing. And I, I had to live that to realize that. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that I can in the position that I'm in. Gosh, I have goosebumps from that. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> that I'm in the position now that, to do this, though, because I wasn't. Mm. I wasn't. I had all these experiences and I didn't know how to express myself because I was that guy that was bottled in and macho and I was in the military we don't display those kind of emotions or whatnot and it wasn't until I got out here and got cracked over the head with life again that said hey you don't you got out let's talk about these things and talking with my brother and I see it talking to other people when we have these kind of conversations you could see you know even in interviews when you watch interviews you could see the pressure get relieved off of people's faces yeah. and especially after when they tell you oh i needed that right. you know what i mean and sometimes and I tell, people don't know they need it until they do it i'm sure it's absolutely 100% i don't need that what do i need that yeah. for and it's like bro it's it is whatever you want to make it but i mm -hmm. guarantee you it's going to be beneficial to someone you know what I have this. That's just what it is. Every story is going to affect someone. Someone. And so that's the whole beautiful thing about We Are One Stories because when I was a gold medalist, everybody wanted to hear Ralph Duquebec's story. Mm -hmm. But they kind of wanted to hear the Marine gold medal, Marine gold medal, Marine gold medal, right? They didn't want to hear the rest of the whole other stuff. And so when we started working We Are One Story, I was like, look, one of the most things that I had to deal with growing up was not having my father around. It took me 35, 34 years to finally recover from that. And I was a grown man having to forgive my father for not being in my life. Like, and in turn doing that, just that pressure alone, I was like, there's no worries now. Like, I'm not trying to impress somebody to come into my life. Like we're grown men now. 
You know what I mean? Like, and it is what it is. They hate to say it, but it is what it is. But now that we have that interaction, we see that and we can feel that and we can love each other again. Oh, I'm so, first of all, I'm so honored to have you and your brother on the show because your brother came on and talked about being in a gang. And when you think about a gang member, you don't affiliate a gang member with talking about their emotions, talking about their traumas, talking about, and the same thing with you. Like you don't think of a person who's a gold medal Olympian or in the Marines, tough guy, macho, like talking about unburdening themselves or doing self-discovery, introspection, reflection, like really taking all the experiences of your life and, and really like thinking about it and pondering over it. And it's just like really beautiful because I think that in our society, especially for men, it's a huge stigma to talk about these things, to have emotion, to show emotion, to say that something hurt, to say that something, you know, to say really any of your emotions. And so what you guys are doing, like we couldn't pick two better guys to be the spokespeople for this because it's like, okay, if Ralph can do it, if Jose can do it, like no excuse, like everyone has emotions, we all go through it. And it really is just a beautiful thing to release that. Right. And I, and I, and I think every time we do it, we feel it too. You know what I mean? And then every time we, we do it, we do it with someone else. We feel it through them and it's contagious and just keeps spreading. Like, you know, when we do interviews and we develop relationships with people that are in the same headspace and the same frequency, like it's just my time, my timeline right now is filled with positivity. Right. You know, like the content that I'm digesting is the content that I need in my life. Mm-hmm. Everything else that I don't need, I, I tune it out. I just had to. That's a to, hard you know, thing to do. It's so hard because I, I, I am a robot. I'm attached to my phone 24-7. <laughs> if I lose my phone, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what am I going to And it drives me crazy because I'm like, you should not be operating like that, Ralph. Mm. You should not be operating like that. Like, you are not that person. But I am. <laughs> but so I take those breaks. I do have to take those breaks. And that's when I yeah. go into, like, the mountains and stuff like that. And I just unwind and unpack everything. But, yeah, you know, um, working with We Are One Story, you know, when people will want my my story and they, the way they got it, um, when I got to unpackage it the way I did with Jose, um, it was a beautiful thing. But what I found in the true beauty in the project isn't in just my story or is it in his story or in her story, it's in the collective of stories. You know, we've got 40 interviews up there, 40, 45 interviews up there. If you're not going to learn something from me, you're going to learn something from someone else. There's something in there. Everyone has gems. And I say it all the time. I was like, every interview that I pull away from, I pull some nugget of information off of that person. That's just me in general in life. If I don't like you, I don't like you. But if you can provide some kind of information, some kind of value to me, you guarantee that I'm taking that value and leaving all the other. That's just how I am. And so when I do the same thing with the interviews, like, oh, that's valuable. That's valuable. I need that. This is a tool in the toolbox. You know, one of the guys on there said, you know, I was going through depression and didn't even know how to identify with depression. That hit me in my heart because I was like, I was 34 years old being depressed and I didn't even know what was going on in my life. I thought I was just being sad. I thought I just didn't have my shit together. I thought that I just needed to pick myself up by the bootstraps. Like, when he said that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I was feeling. Like, why couldn't I have I talked about that sooner and got along with that sooner instead of dealing with it for a long time, <laughs> a long time. Yeah, but that's what it is. You have to come to it in your own time. And somebody once said, like, the world can be your mentor Absolutely. if you're open to it, right? So you don't have to pay to be, have, you know, a mentor, a life coach or this or that. If you listen to other people's stories like you and Jose do, and you're saying you take the gems with you, 
life is like a teacher. Life is your teacher and all these other human beings around us. Like you said, there'll be yeah. some you don't connect with at all. And those aren't your, those aren't your people. Those aren't your mentors, but you can listen to other people. And, and you, like you said, yeah. you're filling your toolkit, right? So you're taking something from him, from her. So you're, you're still in your journey, even by, you know, letting other people unburden themselves, share their stories, grow, but you're also taking from it too. It's like really a nice, balance what you guys are doing because everybody's gaining something from it the person unloading you guys taking your gems and then us as the audience right. getting to take it all in and and like you said everyone's story right. will affect somebody so what is your hope for the next say five years with we are all one story where do you hope to see it what do you hope to accomplish oh i, I hope we're you know traveling uh, globally really you know what i mean like there's three of us right now you know um, Roger's in school, maybe he'll be out of school and I'm still chasing my Paralympic dream of, you know, winning another gold medal, um, 2022. So, you know, 2023, 2024, hopefully the team is traveling worldwide and we're doing this and, you know, um, I haven't even thought about the language barrier issues, you know what I mean? But that's something that would be so cool to like figure out because even doing podcasts with guys that are like in Australia and the UK and Canada and stuff like that, like it's, very well doable now like it's, it's it's extremely doable now and so um you know just continue to interview people you know um uh share our stories you know my like my thing with it is trying to share my story as most um um humbling and you know like just put it all out there like ralph just tell them the truth tell them how it is um and allow people to see that because when you do you see oh he's a gold medalist he's a marine like he he's not going to talk about yeah. oh he is talking about this so it does help that way and i see that and before i didn't see that i was like yeah. i'm not doing that but i see that and so that's why i like doing it now like i literally it's like it's not just my story it's like a, a, mm -hmm. a testament it's a testament to me so it's i love it so i'll do it opportunity to do it so yeah Oh, I hope you guys do it forever. And if if COVID has taught us anything in quarantining, like if we're doing this on Zoom, there's no limits, you know, when you want to connect with someone There's between social media, technology, and then just think about you're going to be so unstoppable when this is over and you can travel anywhere you need, want to go. Exactly. You'll have all this experience, what you're doing now. It's, it's really such a beautiful thing. And I have so much uh, admiration for you and your brother. And Every team needs a cheerleader, and I would like to sign up to be the cheerleader for this team. Hey, yeah, you're <laughs> okay, hired. Perfect. You're hired. Okay, well, I want everyone to follow along on social media at We Are All One Story at Mr. Benjamin Boom. I have to ask why your social handle is at Mr. Benjamin Boom. <laughs> so my middle name is Benjamin, and my family is really who calls me Benjamin, and so okay, um, the Boom comes from EOD, obviously, and so <laughs> um, yeah. I just had to, and it throws everybody off because it's like, Ralph, go back. I haven't been doing Mr. Benjamin. Boom, but that's <laughs> I have why to say, I did it's it. hard to find you. I had to, I had to yeah. do a little and, sneaky work, but I got so you. I kind of, I feel like I have to fix that. I feel like I have to fix that because if people are trying to find me and they can't find me, then I'm, that's my fault. No, but, but you're there with your blue check mark and all. So you are doing it. We got you. So at We Are All One Story, at Mr. Benjamin Boom, visit the website weareallonestory.net. And my favorite, the YouTube channel, so everyone can really see and visualize everyone's stories. I love the way you guys do it on social media, but nothing beats the YouTube when you can just really sit there and, and like lock in. In its with entirety, yeah. Stories. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's just yeah. a beautiful thing. But I thought, since you continue to inspire me with, I have to say, I'm so inspired by your story of being in the military, of being a gold medalist. But what touched me the most is just you being so honest and open. And I think that's what I'm going to take away from this is like, wow, like someone that 
accomplished, someone that determined, but he's just he's just a guy and he's just open and he has feelings and he's not afraid to share them and that is just yeah. a beautiful thing. So since you continue to inspire me, I thought you should have the final word today. Uh, 2020 has been a tumultuous year. I think we can all agree. We're all collectively hoping for a better 2021. So what would you say to someone who's listening, who is struggling in their own life right now? And what message of hope would you leave them so they can keep going? There's always hope. I mean, there's, there's literally always hope. Like I'm literally bleeding out about to die and I'm grasping for that hope. There's always hope. Um, and that we're more resilient than we think we are. We just went through a pandemic. We just had, you know, a, a presidential election. You know, we had racial issues going on that was in the country. Like we're resilient people, humans, period. Um, no matter what comes at you, you got what it takes to tackle it. You just gotta, gotta get to it. Can't you, everything you want is on the other side of fear is what I tell myself all the time. All right, I'm going to play this back when I'm having a down day. <laughs> That's my gem that I'm taking with me. You're my free mentor today. All right, I like it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. I enjoy everything you guys are doing as well. So um, we got to do this. We got to keep fighting the good fight. Absolutely, every day. And I can't wait to follow along. We are all one story and see where that team goes. And I can't wait to cheer you on as a cheerleader in the next Olympic Games and cheer you on then. You're on a lot of teams. I just hope that I can just peripherally, peripherally be part of your team somehow. Yeah. yeah, you're on the you're on the team too. Everyone that supports <laughs> us, we support them. So you're on the team. Oh, I love it. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and thanks so much. Thank you. Likewise. Bye. Yeah, yeah. We'll stay.